It was very important for Kevin Ma, the CEO who put this whole thing together, to offer a component that was educational, that while you could get some amazing product out there, you got to know the stories and the missions and the concepts behind all of these things that we're dropping. Because without these stories and without these, this education, it's just commodity items, you know what I mean? So the talk that we're going to do today is entitled Art and Commerce. And just by a raise of hands, I want to see how many people out there are creatives and artists that are in the audience today. Shyly raising their hands. All right, cool. <laughs> artists are always so shy. Um, no, but the, thing, the reason why I wanted to do this talk is because traditionally in the past, artists were very relegated in the way they were able to sell their work, right? Uh, you either had museums or art galleries or you had to know the right agent um, or you need to be tied into like a sort of tight-knit, closely guarded network of collectors. But nowadays, that whole thing has changed and artists are able to sell their own work without this quote-unquote proper representation. And so I wanted to bring on some people that have really taken advantage of that and also an individual that is on the other side of the fence helping artists monetize and create their own work and get it out into the world. So without further ado, let's bring out the three speakers that we have today. Josh Videz, Sue Sai, and Sky Galately. Come on out, guys. What up, what up? Choose your, choose your seat, just not this one. That's the hot seat. Anywhere? Anywhere you want. You can't have this seat. <laughs> Right. So the other thing that's kind of unique about this talk series, if you guys have ever been to a talk before, you'll know that it's typically like on an elevated stage, like 100 feet away from the audience. This one, we wanted to really recreate a premise of a meeting room, right? So this is like the conference table. You guys are attending and watching this meeting. And like as with any meeting, if you guys have questions, you'll be able to ask questions directly to us. Um, and we can just have a nice discussion, you know what I mean? So let's start with brief introductions. So let's go around the table and just tell us what you do, how you create, and who you are. Okay. Uh, my name is Sue Tai. I consider myself um, a fine artist, a painter. Um, in the last five to seven years, I've taken my fine art and completely produced a full-on brand with it as far as merchandise and pop-up shows. And I've really gone the independent route of just producing my own shows and merch, and it's just perfectly in line with this panel, so I'm very excited to speak about it. Cool. Thank you for coming. Mr. Videz. What's up, everybody? My What's name up? is Joshua Videz. I'm 29 years old, father of two, about to be father of three in a month. Um, Woo! Woo! Shout out to kids. Uh, babies having babies. <laughs> straight up. Um, uh, I don't know. I do a couple things. I'm a I'm a graphic designer. I'm a business owner. I'm uh, I'm also a visual artist and like to build out a lot of things. Uh, I just like making shit, to be honest. Whether it's t-shirts or painting or building out an experience, um, I'm just trying to do as much as I can while I'm here. So, thank you for having me. All right, Sky. Hey Jeff. Hey Sky. Thanks for doing all of these. Everyone, give a round of applause for Jeff individually. He has Thank a lot you. of intellectual stamina over the next couple of days to, mo <laughs> to moderate all of these. Uh, my name is Sky Galately. I'm a co-founder of an agency called Iconoclast. Uh, as Jeff said, um, our mission is to help artists better connect with brands and um, actualize 
opportunities in the commercial world and in the art world. Um, and then on uh, sort of on the, the brand side, also help educate them a little bit on how to properly engage with creatives because very often business language and creative languages are similar but perhaps two different dialects. Um, yeah, and I, re I represent uh, the longest standing artist I've worked with is uh, 13th Witness. I started representing Tim in 2008. So shout out 13th Witness real quick. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is, I think uh, Flickr was the hot medium when I met with Tim and then Tumblr, then Instagram. Uh, I also represent Futura. Um, another artist, and most recently have delved into, which might be interesting for this conversation, um, folks outside of the art. So I represent uh, Ronaldinho, the soccer player, and I also started working with Nigo, the fashion designer from Japan. So uh, please ask any questions about creativity and commerce. And, nice. Uh, yeah, and I like me. that you're like on the other side. You're not necessarily the creative, although you're creative minded, but right. you work with the artist. So that's cool to have you on too. Thank you. So let's start with Sue and let's, let's level set first. Um, when you first started and you were creating, and I think this particular topic is not so much about how to create the work. We're talking to people who know how to create work. They are artistic people. How the fuck did you make a living doing it? Um, that's, I start, you know, people always ask me that and it's like, like they said, it takes 10 years to become an overnight success. Mm -hmm. And they see me, you know, go viral and it, it looks like it happens very quickly. Meanwhile, it's years and years of like built up work. So when I first um, started painting, I wanted to, I wanted my art to touch and relate to younger people and, and just like a different demographic than what fine art is usually geared towards. And with that, I was like, well, the people who are gonna collect my art are gonna be younger people who aren't buying, you know, original canvases mm -hmm. and going to galleries and, you know, purchasing, purchasing yeah. work like that. So it's like, how can I um, get them to collect art in a different way? So when I first started, the first thing I ever produced was um, a phone case because I felt like it was simple. It was, didn't cost a lot of money. I just mm -hmm. made a simple, like, iPhone case. Um, the funny story about that is I really didn't think I was going to sell any. So when I made my first one, I actually hand-painted it. Uh-huh. And it was a terrible idea because I put it online and I sold like 200 of them and like within like a few minutes. And, then and I was like, oh, paint. I really actually have to like paint these now. So, <laughs> but it, it gave me a good glimpse into the demand of like younger people wanting to collect art and, you know, I mean, it, doing it a little bit more commercial in a different way. And yeah. from there, it was like this phone case. Then my next thing was shirts and apparel and then just continuing building step by step. So I like that your strategy was actually to go like low and not like, not low, but accessible. Uh, for sure, accessible yeah. was kind of like always my main um, target with right. my art. You're That's right. cool, and now you've built up to paintings. Well, the paintings were always there, part of it. So I take the paintings and I put it onto- uh, Accessible so things. Onto accessible right, things. Right. So the value of the paintings will always be there. And I always have a hard time it makes it easier because I have a hard time letting go of paintings. I feel like I put so oh. much of my heart and soul into them and they're kind of like my baby. So it helps in that like I don't have to focus on selling my original work. Right. I can paint it one time, keep that work, sell it if I find the right person, but that's not where a majority of my um, kind of the, the money is coming yeah. in from. It's all coming from my online store. And then originally, okay, you just answered my question. Right. You were right from the get, you were selling 
from your own online store? Right. So from the beginning, I, I'm always very like self-sufficient. I bought um, like my domain name and I use one of those like self-made websites and like built my own, like took product shots on my kitchen counter, you know, like things like that. Yeah. And just put one or two items and slowly build right. from there. What about the, I mean, I know a lot of artists are like sort of confused about the e-commerce portion of it. Was that, you just researched it and decided who you're going to like? You know, um, this it's funny because I, so with Shopify tying into all this, they've kind of been a really big um, help in this process because yeah. when I first started, I had a little bit background in um, website design and oh. at that time, I had um, a friend of mine who's doing like real website. They were doing like HTML and coding and things like that. And this was before I started the artwork. I was working on, um, on jewelry. And at that time, it was super difficult because every time we wanted to change something on a product, it was always like a big... Coding Yeah, nightmare. it's like coding. Yeah. And it's like you don't want to change things just because you have to go through all this hassle. With so many different platforms now to be able to sell your work, such as Shopify, it's so user friendly that you can have such a professional website. Yeah. And I feel like any anyone can do it. I know. Shout out one time to Shopify because yeah. for real, like <laughs> I must have dropped like fifty grand on like trying to back it's end expensive. customize thing and I'm right. like, why? This is so easy. <laughs> yeah, Shopify do it for yeah. like a monthly fee. It's it's very accessible and right. very user friendly. Definitely. All right. Josh. The the Many of you might be fans of Josh's work now, but I've known you for many, many years now, and the iteration that you currently exist in, I'd like to say, has evolved greatly from where you came from. So if you could give us a very quick history lesson of where you came from, and then like we'll focus in on like Josh the artist versus like the entrepreneur or the streetwear label person or whatever, you know? So give us a, a brief timeline. For those of you that don't know, you probably saw the outlined Air Force on the internet. I'm the guy that did that. So I'll start there. Okay. Um, but that's like recent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so. so before that, um, when I was 19 years old, well, I graduated high school. I became a firefighter. I did that for... I did not know that. Yeah. <laughs> that's sick. I was buff. I was buff as fuck. Um, <laughs> I did that for like a year, and I was just like, this isn't going to happen. You know, the idea of having like a white picket fence and just being the same person for the rest of my life just wasn't something I really wanted to do. Um, so I kind of just stepped away from that. I got a job at Zoomies and, you know, I just kind of started thinking about my interests in general and it was streetwear at the time. I was buying staples, I was buying the hundreds and all the shit. And I knew that I knew how to draw, but I didn't know how to get to my ideas on t-shirts. And so I was like, I think I could start a brand. Um, you know, I, was, I lived an hour outside of LA, so I was like, I can go to LA and, you know, hopefully learn some shit. So... Mm -hmm. Uh, I took a graphic design course, and I dropped out after I learned how to vector something on Illustrator. <laughs> I, like, made a circle, and I never went back. <laughs> um, outline's done. Okay, I'm out of this and class. And then, you know, like, I found a screen printer. He made some shirts for me, and then I started a brand called Classic, spelled C-L-S-C, -E, um, at 19. And, you know, fortunately, I did that for uh, about eight years. Mm -hmm. um, grew the company to what I think was successful. You know, we had 12 employees. We opened the store on Fairfax. Yeah. Um, you know, we were retailing wholesale-wise at least 300, 400 stores around the world, obviously having our own um, store on Fairfax as well. So that was kind of what got me in, mm -hmm. you know, um, like I guess why people started following me on Instagram. Yeah. Um, and then I walked away from that last year of March where I basically sold my equity to my partner 
took a few weeks off, and then I came up with the concept, Reality to Idea, which is basically everything that I'm doing now. Can I ask why you decided to eject from streetwear? Um, I just, just like everybody in here, we all, most of us are creatives or want to start a business or just we do shit to do shit, but you get over things, you know, whether it's the way you dress or do your hair, everybody has to change and adapt. Yeah. And uh, I just, I was looking at, you know, I, at, that, I, at that point I already had two kids and I was married and I was just like, am I going to be this guy, like brand guy till I die, mm -hmm. you know? And I didn't, I didn't like agree with that. Yeah. And so just, you know, thinking ahead, fortunately, I was just like, it was difficult to do, but I had to walk away from it. Okay. So you mentioned the artwork that you do, which is like the sort of very contrast black and white. Um, did did that happen by accident, or was it a very calculated sort of like pre-planning before you launched? Um, I, I'll break it down to you this way. Um, I've always been into making things, and even, I, th I think it was a kind of like what she said, it takes 10 years to be overnight, whatever. In high school, I did graffiti. Mm -hmm. And so when I was doing graffiti, like how you would be able to understand what my style was, was I made everything look like, um, like kind of wavy, like it wasn't clean, Yeah. you know, just like a marker. So from the jump, that's been a way to be able to be like, oh, that's Josh's shit. I used to write Anom, right? So it's like, oh, Anom, like it looks like a cartoon. Uh -huh. And that obviously goes back to like watching Looney Tunes and shit from way back in the day, you know, like... Uh, like the peanuts kind of like sketch drawing, you know, like I guess if you if you think about it that yeah. way as lines, how it's like kind of squiggly. Yep. So that's where I guess that started. But um, I was honestly watching um, the documentary um, Abstract on Netflix. Mm -hmm. And this is like two weeks after I walk away from the brand. So I'm confused as shit. Like <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing with my life. Thinking about going back to school or being a firefighter, to be honest. Um, and I'm watching the Tinker Hatfield episode and there's like a scene where he's just like drawing all this shit, right? And I just started thinking, I'm like, where are all the sketches this guy has made? He's made some of the most iconic shoes ever. Yeah. How many more are there? There's somewhere in a cabinet in, in Portland, for sure. And mm -hmm. who knows, like, what is there? We'll probably right. never know, or maybe they'll bring them out one day. And that just started kind of bubbling in my head, like, well, shit, like, we do napkin sketches, like, and we do shit all the time that we probably throw away. Mm -hmm. You know, and then my mind just kept going, like, how many times have I done that? You know, like, throwing away an idea. Yeah. And that's when it just sparked, and, like, everything starts on a piece of paper. Okay. Like, some of the greatest things, everything we're surrounded by right now, what we're wearing, the building we're in, that light, is all drawn on a piece of paper, for the most part. Yeah, to start. And um, the next day, I bought a pair of Air Force Ones and painted them. Uh-huh. Wow. Okay. Um, and then, how do you sell them now? Do you sell them? I did sell the shoes for a while, but um, I kind of wanted to step away from it just because, like, I have a lot of respect for sneaker customizers. Uh -huh. I just don't, don't want to be a sneaker customizer, and I felt like if I kept doing that, I'd yeah. become one. So at the beginning, you know, obviously that was the thing that kind of went like this. I was like, yo, fuck, they're for sale. And I think I put them at, like, 400 bucks. Yeah. And I sold, like, 20 pairs, maybe. How were you selling it? On a website? Shopify. Okay. Yeah. And um, I put them up for a few hours, but then Shopify sent me low-key like a cease and desist, basically, <laughs> and told me to stop selling and kind of took all that money, so I would because like you were selling if Nikes, I get that back. Yeah, well, and this is a little cheat code for you guys that customize shit. I put Nike Air Force One, and you're not allowed to do that. Right. 
So when they hit me, I was like, what the fuck? Like, I own these shoes. I literally bought the shoes and I painted them. Yeah. Da, 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 da. Obviously, like, trickled down. That money's gone, unfortunately. But then the next week, I was like, okay, white shoe. And I put it up <laughs> and then I sold like 100 pairs. So I guess I made my money back. And that was fine then. That, yeah, that, I mean, it was just, it, it, I guess, a legal loop. I guess what I, when, you know, obviously, when you put something up like that, uh, uh, the term Nike probably pops up as a red flag to right, them, right. and then they just poof, shut it down. Yeah, yeah. So it was a little way to get around that. So now you're moving away from being like people hitting you up and just being like, can you draw my shoes for me? No, people still do that, like, especially like athletes, yeah. which I'm cool to do for, uh-huh. you know. Um, but, you know, I get DMs all the time, like, how much or like whatever. I just, they take they take like three hours to do so yeah. that's the other thing and for actually for both of you i want to ask like have you ever thought about going through the traditional like being represented by a gallery or are you represented by a gallery um, no well for me i've from the beginning um as an artist i my personality is extremely introverted um very shy not i'm very business savvy but i'm like I have, I had a, it, it was a very intimidating world for me to kind of get into, and as far, I'm sure, as a lot of aspiring artists. Mm-hmm. Um, I took some meetings in the galleries in the very beginning when I was first painting, and I just didn't like the energy for me because I like a lot of control over my art and myself and, and kind of my brand. And after that time, I was kind of, you know what, like, I know so many people. I think I can I can do this on my own. Mm-hmm. And from from my first show till now, every single pop up gallery I've held was self produced. Where I I go out and I look up pop up spaces and galleries and I rent them myself. The first one I ever did in 2011, um, you know, New York spaces are extremely expensive. I could only afford to do my show for one day, so it was like three thousand dollars per day for that one space. Wow. Um, at that time, I used the money that I had gotten from like the phone cases and the, and the clothes and stuff like that. I was yeah. like, you know what? I was like, we're gonna do a one-day show. Um, spent all this all this time just just do this one-day show. Uh, we opened at like 11 o'clock, and there was like a line outside, and I was so nervous up until that point because I was like, what if no one comes? Yeah. Like, it's it's very scary, you know. It and is. I still do that now, even like five shows, six shows later with these like these big ones, and my friends are always like. You don't have to worry anymore. Like, people are coming. No, I think artists first, will always it, have it, that well, fear. And it's, it's not even just people showing up. It's like you're putting a very vulnerable part of you out. You know, it's yeah. like your heart and soul and a work. And it's like all these people are coming to see it. And it's, it's, it's very scary as yeah. an artist, you're, especially you're for me. You're scared if like, no one comes and you're scared if they come. Right. I'm just scared <laughs> of everything, basically. I'm right. scared about losing money. I'm scared about what they're going to think of it. And it's like, it, like right nowadays with social media, like, People will say anything, like yeah. comments. Like it's like the world is like for them to critique, and mm-hmm. you know what I mean. So it, it, yeah, it's yeah. Tough. Josh, how about you? You ever like mess with galleries? Uh, not yet. I've had a few conversations, but I don't think I'm in the position to make that move yet. To be honest, you don't think you're in the position to? Nah. Okay, that's humble. I, I, like I think it's like I'm still learning every day what's going on. To uh-huh. be honest, like and coming from a street world perspective like it's just I'm, I'm adjusting I'm still adapting like I still wake up and I'm like oh shit I gotta go paint like I'm so used to printing t-shirts and doing wholesale you know yeah. um, so I'm still learning you mm-hmm. know even like meeting Sky like we we like sat down a few months ago and 
we had never spoken before that. Yeah. You know, so even that is like all these new doors are opening up. I'm meeting all these new people. I'm like traveling the world. So like I'm right. trying to make the best moves mm-hmm. right now. Um, and I think when I feel like I'm generating my best work at the highest of my ability, that's when it's like, Time. I'm like, let's go. But right now it's like, I mean, I'm doing a tour next week in a U-Haul. Like, <laughs> yeah. That you're paying for. That I'm paying for. Yeah. Right. It's very similar. So, Sky, speaking of, like, when is that right time, what do you find is, like, the biggest hurdle that an artist goes through to know when it is the right time to sort of go to the next level? Uh, I think it's establishing what that, what that level is. You know, and I think a lot of, if there are young artists out here, especially at Hypefest, you know, your brain is probably wired towards... Uh, a bit of wanting to make uh, a name for yourself in terms of just your pure creativity, right? The paintings you create, the photos you take, not needing somebody to pay for that. And then the other side of it is, um, I want to collaborate with a brand. I want to do an advertising campaign. I want my creative, um, as, a, as a graphic element on a runway show. And in the art world in particular, the type of art we're talking about, um, entering into the commercial world can actually, at the wrong stage, can actually be something that can hinder your ability to enter the gallery world. Mm-hmm. And that's just because, um, the easiest way to put it is, the business of galleries and institutional art has been around way longer than artists being able to monetize their creative on right. clothing. So, um, but should entering the gallery world be the ultimate finish line for every artist? The right gallery, you uh-huh. know, um, uh, and just uh, then some of the knowledge I have is functional, just working with Futura, right? So, Futura is being an artist who uh, is really one of the first to be both someone who is part of the on the cultural legacy side, the Basquiat Herring moment. And it's also somebody who was part of the whole um, uh, globalization of streetwear with New York, Japan, uh, and the United States. So he's been somebody that was able to tread both lines but, um, and understand the balance there. But uh, younger artists who I say are probably in their mid-20s or up until about 40, they grew up under seeing how some artists maybe prematurely went commercial. If their intent was not commercial, commercial is a way for them to pay their rent. Mm -hmm. Their real intent was, you know, I want to be represented by Perelton. I want to be in Gagosian. Um, If that's your mandate, focus on your studio practice, make a name for yourself, leverage social social media, etc. Ten years ago, also just, you know, saying my age, an artist would have to email Kevin Ma for the world to know that they're doing an art show. You couldn't just tell somebody, you couldn't just press a button and automatically tell the world that I have an art show in Paris next week, come by my paintings, and also for galleries looking for young talent, hey, I'm going to go check that out to discover new talent. That just did not exist. Yeah. Do galleries do that now? Do they, like, scour Instagram for a, a diamond in the rough? I think yes. The, the, the short answer is yes. And what social media has done, two things. It allows, just from that, this perspective, it's allowed younger artists like Josh an insane amount of velocity in their business. Yeah. So you can go from, and the velocity is determined by two things. 
is the idea good enough? And is, it, is there evidence in the public sphere that a lot of people like what this person is doing? And that doesn't have to be about did they sell a lot of things. That means how many people attended your exhibit? How many people are posting on it? What's the sentiment around it? Yeah. Right? So um, just like any of us are, are curious, mm -hmm. it allows a, van, uh, a, vantage, uh, like a vantage point and platform to discover new talent. However, that point of engagement, all of a sudden a gallery can now just DM an artist. Or like I reached out to Josh, I might have just DM'd him. I, I think that's maybe how I reached out initially. Yeah. Um, because there are fewer points of friction, that also means you have to be ready when somebody reaches out. Like, right. what do you want to do? Because they will ask. Right. And uh, I think you put it well, like that premature velocity is, is yeah. a big thing. Like, yep. Sue, you were mentioning that now your friends are like, oh, don't even worry. When you do a show, you're going to have a lineup. Like, yeah. is there a double-edged sword of that? Is that? Is there a negative to the fact that, like, you know, you have that luxury of controlling everything. Do you wish you had, like, a gallery or an agent sort of managing some of these, like, details, like finding a space and rent and stuff? Right, so the price that comes with doing all of this Yeah, independence. Is, yeah, yeah, right. It w probably would be my sanity and peace of mind like, yeah. as a creative because I now have to balance being a business person in the daytime and, and doing meetings and everything like that and being a little out of my comfort zone where I have to be a little more on the aggressive side to kind of get where I need to be, especially as a woman, especially as a minority. There's yeah. so many more extra like characteristics that I kind of have had to grown into mm -hmm. um, out of my artist element to get there. But And then I have to come home and my art is very vulnerable, and it's not sad. It's beautifully sad. It just takes a lot of sensitivity. So yeah. I have to come home and at night channel back into that kind of inner artistry, mm -hmm. and that kind of balance between the two, yeah. between the two is really what I've had the most struggle with. You have to like with. turn on and off two exactly. sides of your brain every day. But in the end, it's still worth it to me to be able to have full control of where I'm going and where I'm headed and what I envision uh -huh. for myself. Josh, have you gotten to that point where you're like overwhelmed yet with the velocity that Sky talked about? Like, because you you really went on like a trajectory that was like hockey stick. Like, it just went like this. Are you how are you handling it, man? Um, I mean, fortunately, it's because of classic. You know, yeah. like I was already managing twelve people. I had a store. We're we're selling across the world. We're doing collaborations. Like, my mind mentally was already prepared, I uh -huh. guess. I mean, you can see it. Like, this year's been crazy, but it's because of my work ethic. Yeah. Like, I know how to work really fucking hard. Right. And I enjoy being really fucking busy. Uh-huh. So, and I'm not okay just creating, it. but the business side of it as well. Yeah, I think I'm good at both, you know, and I don't think there's a lot of people in the world like that, you mm -hmm. know. Um, I've worked for some very creative people, and I've, wor I've worked for Aaron Levant, and I've worked for Russ. Russ from Sir. Sir. Right. Two completely separate people. Yeah. Aaron's a crazy fucking business guy yeah. who can't draw a circle. <laughs> and then there's Russ, who's like creatively a genius, but wasn't the best with business wise. And sorry if I say that, but I, he knows what's up, you know? Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just, I, I'm very lucky to have those two things, you know? But yeah. again, going back to your point, like, classic was really hard. You know, yeah. trying to succeed in streetwear, trying to deal with retailers, 
hiring your best friends. They quit to go work for somebody else, trying mm -hmm. to open a store on Fairfax, trying to be emailing Kevin to post on Hypebeast. You know, <laughs> like my life was already, already very difficult. Yeah. And so once this happened, it's like I went to college. You know, right. like streetwear was my college. Right. All right, Sky, I got an assignment for you now. You got two people sitting here who are independent, left brain, right brain people. Why do they need management or an agent or a gallery? Uh, <clears throat> I think Sue, you know, Sue said it best. The, if you're a, um, a dedicated creative, you know how much emotion and intensity and focus it takes to create work. If that, it's just, it should be your focus, primary focus. Get creating real, the work. Creating the work, getting really good at what your point of view is, articulating it the best way to the world. That'll just result in the best stuff, and as a creative, you'll feel satisfied. If then on top of that, if you hadn't, so me, for example, like, you know, I did all of classical schooling. I was a journalist before I became an agency person. I'm really good at writing, and somehow that dovetailed to be able to work with creatives, create content, and be a, a business person, right? I'm the first person to say that I don't think I could just, oh, I just want to be an artist. Let me just learn how to paint really fast because I know that's, an, that's a, to be an expert in that, it, takes, it would essentially take another lifetime, mm -hmm. right? So what I'm, what I'm saying in that is by getting other people to help you also at a, a fraction of what you'll actually make, like I work with artists on deals. It's not a 50-50 deal. The artist is making disproportionately as they should way more of the money because what's the anomaly? Their art or my ability to do business? In my opinion, it's the art, right? I think a lot of people can do what I do. Mm -hmm. uh, I just might have more experience doing it, right? Mm -hmm. So there's that, and if you empower somebody else to handle, let's go through a couple of things. A brand wants to work with Josh. They may or may not send an organized brief saying, Josh, we want you to do this. If Josh then has to be the person to go back to the client and say, I think I heard you say you want me to do this, but do you really want me to do this? That's already 30 emails that it's going to be incredibly time consuming. So yeah. understanding what somebody wants you to do, get somebody else to do that, that they can just tell you in the language they know you want to talk, to understand yeah. a brief. Then it's you're, you're engaging with a gallery or a brand. There's going to be a contract. Most creative people being nonlinear thinkers, are usually not also attorneys, right. nor am I. So yeah. a management or an agent allows you, whether that person very often was previously an attorney mm -hmm. or has a existing legal counsel, to be the people that look at the contract in the language that it's written in, not in, I think I understand what this means because I know English. Yeah. Right? So and oftentimes are, in a contract, one sentence changes the entire so wave of that thing. I, so just young creatives out there, like every time, so very often when artists get engaged by brands, you'll deal with the person at a brand that's the marketing person. The person that in quotes knows what's going on with culture. That person very often has no idea what the contract says when, and then when they pass it over to the legal department, the contract actually says, when you create your artwork as a brand, we own it. We can do anything we want with it. We can put it anywhere. And because also the brand person, they don't know. Yeah. The artist just signs it. And then all of a sudden, your artwork ends up on a 50 skew running collection in another territory. And you're like, I didn't approve this when you did. Yeah. Right? So 
understanding the legal point of view and the implications of people licensing your artwork for a term or owning it, they can own it. Mm -hmm. They have to pay for that. And yeah. you also be understanding of what that what the implications yeah. of that are. Um, and, and that's when it goes bad. Yeah. Even when it goes good and it goes well, I think, you know, Sue, like, pricing your own artwork is, like, a very difficult thing for an artist to do themselves. To, like, say, you spent 90 hours working on this thing. Someone comes to you and says, all right, I love it. How much? Yeah. Right? But, like, so talk about how you Jeff, can... I just want to say one... Yeah, go. Just one... Also, uh, you asked about galleries. Um, you don't necessarily need a gallery. If your point of view is strong enough and you're driven, like these two artists, you can get your work out there, make it happen, create a market. You have to you know, figure out how much you want to sell your work for. You can do all of that yourself. You can work with, and working with artists now, leveraging Shopify. You can disintermediate. That's a word you guys should look up. Disintermediation is what's going on in commerce right now. You can go direct to your consumers, create something amazing, and sell it. You don't need other people necessarily, right? But... Uh, and, and also just on a layer, like Banksy does that. Damien Hirst does that. Artists that are in the traditional apex of the art world that have all the, the polish and optics around them that's amazing, they do the same thing, right? So mm -hmm. don't think that doing it independently is in some way taboo. It's like, no, actually some of the most iconic artists with the biggest primary and secondary market business do it themselves. Yeah. Sure, a gallery can help them. It's like a distribution deal in music. Right. It's like the anomaly is the artist. Yeah. You are the anomaly. Don't ever like just don't ever forget that. Yeah. You just have to be strong. You know, uh, trust your vision and make sure as many people know how anomalistic your thing is, mm -hmm. and everything else. If you get some help, will happen. Yeah. Glad you clarified that. For sure. Because you did say earlier, like, get a gallery. So I'm glad you like. Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, I don't, and I don't want to go on this, but um, you have to know what your legacy is and what you want early on. Like, you can at least imagine what you want your legacy potentially to be as an artist and also what type of galleries you want to be signed to. Uh, I would say something else in that trajectory is I, I don't think uh, young folks identify a mentor um, early enough. Uh-huh. And I think that's really important with artists. Getting you know, a mentor. If, if you like an artist whose career you respect, figure out a way to talk to them and tell them, I need help. How did you do what you did? Because many artists, there aren't many opportunities for mentorships. Everyone's in their studio creating. You know, yeah. um, Really important because you can learn a lot from what someone's already done for 20 years. Yep. Yeah. So going back to what we were asked about like pricing, how did you figure out what was the right price? Um, Are you still figuring it out? <laughs> I mean, I already, like I said before, I don't like, I already have a hard time selling my artwork. So for um, that standpoint, it's really random. It's, <laughs> however, it's, I always ask myself, like, how much money do I need for me to be okay with this piece, never seeing this again and just, yeah. like, leaving me? And as a general thing, it's kind of usually more based on, in general, it's like hours I've spent on it, like 200 hours, 300, 500 hours. But at the end of the day, it's just how you feel about that piece and like my attachments. Like one of my pieces from my last collection, not one of my most difficult pieces I've had to do, but I just, something about it that I love so much. And I had put a number on it 
didn't really expect it to sell, but someone came in and they just, you know, walk up, I'm going to purchase this. Uh-huh. And then I just like, I like had a big gulp in my throat and I just <laughs> changed my mind and I, I feel bad about, they bought something You else. changed your mind? I did change my mind. But this guy's like. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but it's just for me, like, wow. I it. The artwork selling it doesn't like right because at do that moment the prospect like, of the check versus never seeing it again was like right, no like I can't. all of like my passion for painting is fulfilled financially by everything else right by the merch and and yeah. and the online store and everything like that so that I can be happy and create all these you know amazing yeah. paintings that I can do whatever I want with them I can sell them if I want to I don't have to I know that's not my means I can put them into um, shows I can travel with it it's just that's my peace of mind of having the, the commerce with it. Yeah. How about you, Josh? Um, I think a big part of that is understanding your market. Uh-huh. Like, who's actually going to buy your shit, you know? Yeah. Um, like, for me, obviously, I, I understand that a big reason why a lot of people follow me are because I painted the shoe. Mm-hmm. So most of the people buy sneakers, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Um, which are, to be honest, a lot of younger people. Uh-huh. So, you know... I grew up broke as shit. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that's a bad thing or a good thing now because, like, when I price my shit, I don't like pricing it too high because I want it to be accessible. Right. And just like her, like, a lot of mine is merchandise or a T-shirt. Like, I'm not going to sell a T-shirt for $400. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make any sense. Like, I'll sell for 50 bucks, yeah. you know, and I'll make 100 of them or whatever it is. Um, but now you're going into other things besides sneakers. Yeah, I mean, a, a big thing, you know, on the commercial end is a lot of uh, companies or brands reaching out to me to basically create a space for their events okay. or whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, so I went to, I was in, just side note, I was in China, in Shanghai. Yeah. And you basically made, like, an airport for Herschel. Like, yeah. literally, like, he recreated an airport terminal for Herschel. Right. It was dope. Yeah. With a plane wing and yeah. a cabin and everything, right? Yeah. So Herschel calls you up, and they're like, Here's the brief. We want you to do this. Going back to Sue's point, how do you calculate what you're going to... You don't have to give the number unless you really want to. But, you know, how do you calculate what that number is? Is it a gut thing or you take out Excel spreadsheet and you start calculating shit? Let, let me, like, rewind. Okay. The only reason I got the Herschel deal was bullshit. Was <laughs> Okay, so <laughs> I'm going to tell you guys this, and hopefully you guys are recording this because Herschel's going to get a huge kick out of this. I have worked with Herschel in the past, uh-huh. working for Russ and other companies that I work with where I already knew the Herschel people. And I saw that the demand on my end was growing, you know, just like shit was happening on the internet. And I know that companies in general are always looking for hot shit. Yeah. And so uh, I hit up Herschel, the homies, John, Warren, what up? And I was like, yo, uh, in case reached out. They didn't. And so <laughs> they so were you, like, what do you mean? You I was bluffed. Like, you bluffed. Yeah, I, like, you know, I was playing poker. Uh-huh. And I was just like, yo, like, in case reached out. I mean, I had a conversation with the in case, but in no way anywhere near having a collaboration set. Yeah. And I was like, what's up? And he was like, oh, shit. And I was like, if this happens, I'd rather have it be with you guys, have a bag collection. Yeah. You know? Like, literally had coffee with the in case, and they were like, oh, we'll think about it. Uh-huh. <laughs> So literally, like, the next week, Herschel was like, let's go. Like, we want to do this thing. How do you want to do this? I was like, well, obviously, we're going to make bags, 100%. Yeah. But also, like, you do what you do, and I'll do what I do. Uh-huh. And they're like, okay. I was like, so you make the bags. I'll design them. But, like, let me create these experiences. Yeah. You know, maybe we do pop-ups or whatever. So little by little, the conversation kept going. And they're like, actually, we need to do Yo Hood. 
bread and butter, complex con, and sold DXB. Uh-huh. Maybe you just do our booths. Nice. And I was like, ah, okay. So the deal now is there's four activations happening. Uh-huh. I'm getting paid to do those activations. Uh-huh. But also there's product involved. So I'm going to get royalty and a design fee on that. Okay. So it and was did like you this. negotiate that whole thing yourself? Yeah. Wow. It's dope, man. Good for you. <laughs> but, oh, actually, no. I told you. It was a DM conversation with Takashi Murakami where I was like, this is happening. Just on the low, DM conversation with Takashi Murakami. Well, I, you know, I was just like, yo, like, <laughs> I was like, what do I do? And he kind of helped me, you know, like. Did you know him from before, though? Uh, well, I do all the merchandise. Well, I don't know if I should drop this here, but I do all the merchandise for ComplexCon. Uh-huh. So okay. I. It's business. All his design shit. Everything that happens at ComplexCon with Takashi's yeah. artwork, I produce and design. Produce it, okay. So we already were in, like. We already knew of each other, right. and then this started happening. He's like, "You're the fucking guy," and I was like, "Yeah, here's the shoe." You know? Wow. Yeah. So one of the meetings where we were had for ComplexCon, I pulled up with a pair of shoes size 12, and I was like, "Yo, I made you these." Yeah. And he opened them, and he's like, "Wait a minute." Your like, your like, yeah. like because <laughs> he started following me. He didn't follow me before that. Yeah. He started following me when the shoes went viral. Right. And then he's like, "You're the guy." I was like, "Yeah, dude. We've been on email for like two years now." <laughs> and so that's when like the relationship kind of went like this. And then he came to my second show, like popped up out of nowhere. So it's dope that you just went out and asked him though. Like to your point, Sky, like how you said, just ask for advice, ask for help, you know? And I would also advise, like, I personally hate the question of, like, will you be my mentor? That's, like, very intimidating. Yeah. Just ask, like, for help. Like, I need, you know, one question, two questions, but, like, it's too much when it's, it's like... It's actually really funny that you bring this up because, like, you, right before I, like, right when I was just starting, around, like, seven years ago, I, like, stalked Virakami in a, in a cafe in Long Island City. I was living in Astoria, and I was following him on Instagram, and he posted, like, he always posts where he is, and I'm yeah. like, this is kind of crazy, like, he's, like, literally like, down the, corner, the street. Yeah. I got in my car, and I drove straight there, and I, he was sitting outside of a, a Sweet Leaf Cafe, like, uh-huh. having a drink, and took a picture with him, and met him, and now I met him at Complex Fun last That's... year, officially, but, like, yeah, it's just <laughs> But you so stopped funny. him first. Yeah, I stopped him first. Cool. Um, Scott, you have any last words of advice for, for artists before we open it up to audience questions? Yeah, I mean, I think something that I, if you're making art in a studio that it's meant you maybe want it to be uh, in, in a gallery, um, it's great to self-produce shows. I think one thing in there that um, artists have to balance is the financial reward. So, hey, how many paintings do I sell for X amount of money? And is that as or more important than who is the person buying it? So what I mean by that, very often... You know, just things that I've learned. Who owns your painting is potentially more important than how much you sold it for. Mm. Um, and there's there are other correlations in there, but yeah, um, time and time again that has proven yeah. true. Yeah. So uh, do as much as you can. You know, I would say focus on your studio. Artists ask me like, "What do you think I should do?" Like, how how diligent are you with your studio practice? And if you if your answer is sort of like, "Well, you know, I it's like." Okay, so you're not doing enough, right? Uh-huh. Um, and then that'll probably yield, if you focus, it'll probably yield you an opportunity where the right gallery or, um, you know, somebody might just, a lot of artists at a certain point, um, someone will reach out and like, hey, I'm a, I'm a big fan of yours. I want to help underwrite your studio practice Yeah. to own a portion of your output, but now you have a studio, I'm paying for your supplies. Um, so you, you know, you, uh, I'm sure you guys have heard about this with other, especially artists from the 80s, that's there too. Mm-hmm. You know, artists get invested in 
just like musicians and fashion designers. Yeah. It's just a different type of creative output. Yeah. So don't 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 uh, not realize that that's a thing. Right. Um, and then I think the last part is so who owns your work, how it's sold, and then also just how you make your work accessible. So you can make your work accessible through social media. Mm -hmm. You can make your work accessible by making merchandise at a price point where younger collectors can own a piece of your artwork, wear it, live with it, etc., and know that there's also the ultimate expression of that or level, which is I'm selling a painting in a gallery. I think understanding that there are layers of pricing for work, yeah. but also what's the function of that price? Um, it's not just I need to sell stuff at these three price points to make a lot of money. It's I want to make my art accessible. Uh, this thing costs more because it was harder to make. Right. You know, per, uh, for example, Cause, you know, he's a great example of you know, a partnership that he's had with Medicom for years. He needed a partner. Um, and this is me speaking from the outside, but he needed a partner to help him produce toys. The scale of what he's able to do now, because mm -hmm. he also invested in that, is insane. Some things he does with Medicom, some things he doesn't. Uh, or f an artist, Felipe Pantone, who's younger that I've worked on a few projects with. Uh, and the, my last point is, if you're really um, dedicated to what you do and you know what you're doing is unique, investing your money into your practice and not into buying things that you so as a way as a social indicator to show people that you're selling stuff like Felipe Panton for example pretty much all the money that he makes he's made selling paintings and he's had a similar trajectory to Josh last year he's used all the money to buy printers to open up a production studio in Valencia Spain to increase the scale uh, the frequency of his artworks yeah you know like he could have easily he's like oh cool I made Buy a yacht. A lot of money. Yeah. In the last 18 months. He's like, cool, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to buy these crazy industrial printers, and he now can do things actually on the next level. Mm -hmm. And that's because he had the foresight, the downfield vision to do it. Um, and sure. also, another artist that's not as digital as Felipe, look into uh, Jose Parlo's career. Um, Jose and Ray Parlo, they're brothers. Jose's scale and scope of his work is amazing. If you look up what Jose was doing 20 years ago to what he is now, he's another person that's truly invested yep. in getting himself with his brother to where he is now and another just great guy to look into. But, you know, yeah. invest in yourself. Don't just, like, buy nice stuff because you're selling things and it makes you feel like, oh, I need it for Instagram to make people know that I'm a wealthy artist. Yeah. Most artists actually that make the most money look like they have the least amount of money. Yeah. So in this culture of optics... Just look at Murakami. Optics, <laughs> optics and clout, there is no correlation unless, in my opinion, your art is kind of garbage between looking cool and actually being a successful, viable, healthy artist. Good advice. You're not Thank a rapper. You. You're an artist. Alright. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. Give them a round of applause. Um, we have a mic... We do have a mic runner here, so if you have any questions, raise your hands. Okay, let's, you want to start here? All right, uh, first of all, congratulations to you both for Thank being uh, very uh, transcending artists in this generation. Because, you know, uh, one thing about your situation is 20, 30 years ago, um, this generation is so much in tune with art than, you know, the generations previously. So, 
um, have you thought of actually, because I work for MTV, and I feel like a lot of companies nowadays look for artists to help in creating creative spaces. You know, it's so important nowadays to work in a space where you're inspired. So have you thought of maybe working with, you know, companies in order to, you know, uh, promote your art and so forth? Like in a company? Company, yeah. Okay. Have you collaborated with companies? Um, I have. So I've had a few. Um, I actually have a, a major one. Is Yasin in here? A what? Yes, is Yasin in here from Puma? Oh, I don't know if no, Yasin's right? in here. Okay. I don't even know if I'm allowed to say it, but all right. I have a, a big collaboration with Puma coming out in March of next year, and Sick. it's been I've held out for a long time about doing like really big commercial collaborations just because I've had opportunities in the past, and um, it really wasn't until recently that I found kind of my space in that they're letting me do whatever I want uh -huh. and giving me a lot of artistic freedom. Um, a lot of companies, they just want to use your name because it's, it's hot right now and it's popular. And then once you kind of get into the design process, it's like, well, this is, we can't approve this, we can't approve, you can't do this. Yeah. And it waters down so much of your natural artistry. And I w had that issue for, for so many years. So um, now, right now, I'm in a space where I'm really happy where working with companies that give me that freedom, and I'm really ha I'm happy to um, be able to contribute and co-collaborate with these brands if I find the right fit for me, not because I just want to or it's, it, or it's a big name. Right. Besides Herschel, you got anything else in the books that you could disclose? Um, oh man, I wish I, could, I wish I could talk about the email I got this morning. Movie, you know what's up. <laughs> um, I'm on the verge of like signing a pretty gnarly deal with the shoe company, uh -huh. um, and we've been going back and forth. Um, but yes, if I sign that deal, like I'm good for like two, three years, and obviously their roster is going to help me grow. You know, what I'm saying they're going to be like, hey, here's so and so, like somebody that I'd probably never meet in my life. You know, okay. and they're going to be able to put me in the same room with them. You know, um, just say it. <laughs> Hell. <laughs> Nah, okay, don't do it. I don't want to fuck. I don't want to fuck it up for you. Next I question. <laughs> you almost said it, dude. Do not no. say it. <laughs> this guy's like, shut your As mouth. As your interim boy. buffer, do not say that. Oh, sorry. Can't eat chickens before they hatch. Uh, any? We got a question over here. What's up, guys? So basically, I want to ask about: Has anybody ever tried to like take your idea and do it? So take like steal an idea. Yeah, like so basically like I took the last photo of the rapper deceased XXX Tentacion. Uh huh. That's on his IG and like everybody's like he's been using the photo or whatever. Mm -hmm. So have you guys experienced anything? You need to get like, Sky's card, but okay. Yeah, yeah, basically. That's why I wanted to grab this mic so bad. But yeah. Josh, you ever face have you I think you're facing that, no? Well, you, you mean like your actual like you're the photo you took or someone is so, replicating it like similar? Um, no, he's asking, no, there's he's people asking like, you. There, it's a whole bunch of like, so it's like clothing and then sneakers and then. Oh, wow. And That's then a real replicating thing. and like vectorizing it and selling it and stuff. So it's just. You want to take that first real quick? Yeah. So, so uh, another, I guess another thing is your rights protection. So as an artist earlier in your career, and it's, it's unfortunately not uh, inexpensive, register your marks. 
No, they registered before everything happened, too. Before they're registered? Like, as a copyright? That's what you mean? Like, oh, oh, you're asking me a question. Well, so I'm saying I, as your artist's name, right? All of that, if you have a signature, if you have an artistic style, register them, right? The second layer, then, in your instance, right, which is a unique case, is an artist photographing the likeness, uniquely photographing another artist whose likeness you do not own. Yeah. Right? So there is a, there's an interesting area there between even when you create something, do you have rights to the subject? Yeah, that's all I was going right? to ask. So there's potentially you plus the estate of that estate of that now artist could have claims against people that are collaboratively co-opting yeah. your creative, um, for sure. Yeah, yeah, so basically, like, I've been going through, like, a whole ordeal with, like, the label that he currently signed with before he passed or whatever, and it's like, I just don't, like, you guys said, like, you don't know what how, how to put a price on something that you have, and that's just, like, yeah. so, yeah. Right. Cool. Yeah, you guys should connect. That's what this is all about. Yeah. I would I would also say uh, just against that stuff. There's an attorney. Uh, if you guys have seen court cases and hype beasts cover them, uh, intellectual property cases the last year, especially one with an artist named Revoke, um, in a case with with H and M. Uh, there's an attorney in L A. named Jeff Gluck, who historically has been one of the the legal counsel to support artists sort of from our sphere. I just just Google Jeff Gluck and just what? see some of the things he's dealt with because very often, if as an artist, like I'm not sure if there's a case here or if I have a, like research to see if there are other instances. And sometimes it's finding out who the attorneys are that support artists because you'll find other cases like, oh, that one's just like mine. Yeah. So I'm not bugging. Word. Right. right? Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Thanks. You can Sorry. literally call his office. Word. <laughs> I'm, pu- I'm writing that on my notes right now. And, right, have- and, yeah, and with Jeff, sometimes it's, it doesn't end up in a lawsuit, right? Or it can end up in something that starts as an unfortunate beginning can end as you end up actually working with somebody. Yeah. It's like, we just really loved your artwork. It's yeah, like, you some- didn't know that I owned it. Okay, now they're on the same page. Like, can we do something? Uh-huh. Yeah, and like, sometimes I- that happens. Yeah. I sent out a couple yeah. uh, cease and desist, and then some people that I've, that I've sent that out to, we were close friends now, and they, like, do clothing brands for like future and like a whole bunch of other people. So it's sure. definitely That's dope. All right, I think we have time for one more question. Yes, sir, sitting down in the front here. How you guys doing? What yeah. up? Um, I wanted to know, how do you find the balance between providing a service, studying your craft, and actually applying your craft to your own personal branding? I missed the first, what service? Oh, providing a service. Oh, providing a service. Yeah, whether Josh is creating experiences um, and, and, and studying his own craft and also um, doing personal work for your personal brand. Like, how okay. do you find a good balance between the three? You don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know, man. Like, um, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. I just, I wake up every day and I try to be better. That's it. And... Obviously, like, setting goals helps, you know, like, setting goals. I know he has to say that. I'm just saying, like, you know, like, I have a lot of shit going on. I have to make sure that I'm not, like, overstepping dates or whatever, you know, but I'm just trying to make as much as I can, you know. Um, Obviously, planning ahead and thinking ahead always, but, um, 
Yeah, I don't, I, that's, that one's a, I don't know. <laughs> How do you manage? I don't think I manage, I just. You just do? I just do it. Yeah. I think I'm, you know, I get so excited about projects and I think that's a big part of it is like passion that you are so fired by that that you you don't even think of it as like trying to balance like you're just so kind of zoned in like I get really excited and this is what I want to accomplish and I'm, I'm always like a tunnel vision type of person yeah. I think that's how I've gotten to where I am so we're not saying that you shouldn't find balance but there <laughs> comes a lot a lot of sacrifices I think yeah definitely. that you have to make um Personally, at this is at this point. Yeah, you have to know what you want at that point of life. And where I am at right now is, I know that there's certain sacrifices that I have to give up to get to where I want to be. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm okay with that, and, and I understand that, and I set my goals according to that. Like this is what I'm focused on now. I will focus on, you know, this then and, and yeah. whatnot. I mean, I wouldn't concern yourself too much with like the actual prioritization of the work, just make sure all the work you're doing is work that you love. I find that, you know, I have a clothing line, a design studio, retail store, the podcast, all that stuff, and inevitably life becomes like a top 10 list and something is gonna fall out of the top 10 because you're just not into it anymore and that's how you make room for like number nine, you know, and then hopefully that becomes number one for you, you know? All right, cool. That's all the time we have, unfortunately. Thank you guys for coming out. Big round of applause one more time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks a lot.